Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go, Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you on board wherever you're listening, across the Magnolia State, or maybe you're in Atlanta or Birmingham or Dallas listening online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. If I didn't mention your city or your hometown, my apologies. Wherever you are, we're glad to have you listening uh, Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs in North Mississippi, maybe you're in one of those places that not is not in North Mississippi, but you're ready to buy a piece of property to kind of have a place to come back home to, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Whether it's a recreational piece of property or you're a farmer with equipment needs or looking to buy new land or refinance an existing loan, Mississippi Land Bank can help. You can check them out online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Good to have you along on a Tuesday afternoon. We could potentially crown a national champion in baseball tonight, or if you believe in the power of Kumar Rocker, it might take at least one more night to get a national champion and uh, ultimately bring an end to the 2018-19 athletic academic year. Borky, what's up on a Tuesday? Oh, it's a little slow. Never mind. This is supposed to be hailed to the victors. What is that? Oh. Yeah, but it's oh, taking a while you to the build, big up. build up. Yeah. Well, we can just let it go in the background. Michigan was pretty impressive last night. I mean, they can really... I know you've been saying this for two weeks because that's how long the College World Series lasts, but my God, they can pitch it. They really can. And Tommy Henry was outstanding once again last night. Eight and a third, seven hits, four runs, only three of those earned. He walked one and struck out eight in the ball game. Jeff Criswell came out of the bullpen, worked two-thirds of an inning, and uh, got out of it for Michigan. Uh, Vanderbilt did score one run in the bottom of the ninth inning, but seven to four, Michigan out. Hits Vanderbilt 14 to seven. In the game, which team is it that was heavily favored going in? Vandy. But this was Michigan's path if they were going to win. Take advantage of an inferior starter, see if he can win one of the next two. And calling Drake Fellows inferior is a little crazy. 4ERA guy. He's very average. He is. He's won a bunch of games, but has lost two of his last three starts against teams that can, uh, can absolutely swing it. Hey, Dad, I know you told us you weren't going to watch it, did you stand by that decree? Didn't watch a single pitch. Kept up a little on Twitter though, and uh, was as surprised as anybody as what I was uh, as as what I was reading there. Yeah, Borky, did you watch much of it last night? I did, yeah, and I also had to squint my eyes to read Phil Steele in the background. I don't remember 
or I didn't remember how small he likes to print his magazine in. <laughs> when when you told me you were planning to read the Phil Steele magazine cover to cover, I raised my eyebrows a little bit because <laughs> the word count is like insane. <laughs> it took me forty five minutes to read his top five position groups. <laughs> I mean, that's just two pages. It's just so small. But yeah, I had I had the game on right behind the magazine, but I did a little multitasking last night. Yeah, pretty entertaining game. Big crowd and uh, looked certainly good on TV. I, I certainly get, though, that uh, there's less interest for this than there could have been otherwise, not just in the state of Mississippi, but because it's Vanderbilt with a relatively small fan base and a team that people have kind of come to really dislike because of the Whistler and for whatever other reasons, and Michigan, who's just, I, I, I mean this with no disrespect, although it's going to come across incredibly disrespectful, Michigan has been kind of a college baseball nobody. And so you've got a college baseball nobody and a small private school with uh, an irritating fan base, and it feels a whole lot less sexy than if you had had Mississippi State or LSU or Arkansas or, for our purposes, Ole Miss or some of the bigger schools from the West Coast that may or may not care about baseball playing for a national championship. It just feels different. Yeah, especially because Michigan comes from a league that just across the board doesn't care at all. But it is good to see Vanderbilt lose. I know that's kind of cynical, but there was a, a <laughs> column in the Tennessean today about uh, how everybody else is just haters and saying that Vanderbilt doesn't belong there is just sour grapes. And it's not that anybody thinks they don't belong. Yeah, they belong there. It's the best accumulation of talent in the country. It's because of how they're able to acquire the talent is what bothers us. Not that they belong or don't belong there. Of course they do. Look, they're just taking advantage of a system that plays in their favor. It's not their fault. And, we just and think, think the system you, is flawed. I think what you said there at the end is important. They are taking advantage of a system that is available to them. Look, you you don't have to go back that far. I mean, you just got to go to pre-Tim Corbin to find Vanderbilt as the doormat program in the SEC in terms of baseball. The facilities were horrific. There was no fan base. They were a blip. I mean, there was a good player from time to time that would come through the Vanderbilt program, but they were they were nothing in college baseball. Tim Corbin not only came in and got the program moving in the right direction, but he convinced Vanderbilt's administration, we can win here, we can win big here, but it's going to take a commitment. If you're willing to commit to the program, I'm willing to be your guy. He convinced the Vanderbilt administration to give him the tools that Vanderbilt had never had in the past and quite frankly, and I think I pointed out this yesterday, if I didn't, I should have, there are other private institutions all across the country that could take advantage of some of the baseball rules that private schools can take advantage of that don't. TCU doesn't. Rice used to. They really don't anymore. Stanford is kind of back in the game. Duke is trying to get into the game. Northwestern doesn't care about baseball. That's a private school that, that's out there. Ivy League schools could theoretically climb into the major baseball mix if they wanted to. If Harvard or Yale or Princeton or a school like that chose to commit to college baseball the way Vanderbilt has, they could, over the course of the next five to ten years, 
climb into college baseball in a way that Vanderbilt has. Oh, Andy's underachieved. Who has? Corbin. Tim Corbin? Given the resources that he's got? Yeah. This is their fourth time playing in the finals. You've been to four times in 17 years with one national championship with double the amount of scholarships of every other team you play against. Not every team you play against, but most. But it has taken a while to get them to this level. I mean, the last eight years are when they've gotten to the elite level. Sure. Why'd it take that long? Eh, that's maybe a reasonable point. Because he probably... Is it not fair to say, though, that he had to build Vanderbilt into what it is? I mean... You think it took because, him again, a long Vanderbilt time? Vanderbilt was nothing baseball-wise. Easier to build with double the supplies. Don't disagree with that. But Vanderbilt baseball tradition began with Pedro Alvarez and David Price. He lost to Michigan in a regional. They did. Baseball is a little bit of a fluky game. I just realized game, that though, was right? Michigan. Sure. Gosh, Michigan and Vanderbilt, man. Yeah, how about nemesis. that? It was 2007 in Nashville, one of the great upsets in college baseball history. Yeah. This would be two of the bigger upsets featuring the same two teams. Yeah. Go Blue. Um, so what did you do last night? Hey, Dad. I went grocery shopping. <laughs> Got a great story from the grocery store? <laughs> no. I just went and picked up the stuff I need to cook this week. There you go. Anything exciting on the menu? Uh, well, if my wife comes home during lunch tomorrow, she might die because I'm going to cook some shrimp. That would be no good for her. I have to give her the warning. Hey, cooking shrimp, don't come home. Oh, because she's got the shellfish allergy? Big, big time shellfish allergy, yeah. You can't just, like, forego shrimp as a tip of the cap to your wife? I could, but, I mean, if she's not home, what difference does it make? What if you accidentally leave a piece of shrimp somewhere that no, you didn't no, no, realize no. you Very left somewhere? Thorough. First off, I would never accidentally leave a piece of shrimp anywhere because that, that they're going in my mouth. I like the shrimp. But Fried shrimp? Boiled shrimp? What? Uh, I'll probably just, like, saute them. I can't fry them. That wouldn't be very helpful. All right, Bubba. What? <laughs> Took me what? a second. It's, it's oh. pretty bad when you're getting the reference <laughs> on me. You got me. Right. I'll give you credit. You got me. Took all this time. Yeah, there you I, go. I, I don't, yeah, just make them easy. You uh, you want to text the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line. The number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. C Spire, customer inspired. That's the best way for you to get to us. You can also tweet us on the head-to-head radio, excuse me, the Sports Talk Mississippi radio Twitter feed at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Hey, it's only been like a year, right? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, new name. Notes in front of me. Haven't done that in a long time. It's the name of the show for a bunch of years. Go figure. Um, glad to have you along this afternoon. Just getting started. A bunch to get to. Uh, we will talk a little bit more about uh, Vanderbilt and Michigan. Uh, this story in LSU is getting better as people have finally decided that it makes sense to write about it and dig on it a little bit. Uh, Jake Mangum gets his baseball contract. Uh, I hope he doesn't spend all of the money in one place. Is it worse than we thought for Mickey Calloway and the Mets? A bunch to get into this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's jump onto the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. Eric Sorensen joins us from Omaha. I didn't anticipate starting here, Eric, but we got a text on the ceasefire text line just a second ago from a guy named C. Ray, and he says that um, 
it's ridiculous that people in Mississippi wouldn't be cheering for Vanderbilt because when a team from a conference wins, it helps everybody in the conference. And our general belief is that that's just not the case. It helps the school that wins. It doesn't help the conference win. We know all about SEC pride and all those things. So I'm curious, does Oregon State winning a national championship a year ago help UCLA? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think so. I, I, you know, it's just it's just a reputation of a conference, I suppose, that that helps out. But it, it it doesn't put a win or any hits or any strikeouts onto UCLA's ledger. And and yeah, you know, I mean, the SEC is strong enough. They don't they don't uh, need to hope for a team to win for them to look good or anything like that. They've looked plenty good enough as the as the years, the last few 20, 20 25 years has shown. So. Yeah, interesting, interesting text you got there. Yeah, certainly so. Um, <laughs> as you've been in Omaha for the last couple of weeks, outside a uh, a quick little side trip to Mount Rushmore that I saw about on right. uh, Twitter, that, that's kind of cool, um, and you've watched this Michigan team, have they gained the respect of the people who are there covering the tournament and gotten past, oh, wow, this is a cool story, too. That's a really good baseball team. Yeah, I think so, Rich. I, the the thing that kind of caught my eye was in the press conference last night. Tim Corbin just, you know, I mean, he just lost to Michigan for the you know, in in their first game, and and he said this team, you know, I don't like to use the phrase that a team is hot, which kind of indicates that that kind of indicates that a team is is only good for a short period of time. He he just kind of thought that. You know they lost to a really good team, and he knew that they would have to really buckle down and and play better tomorrow, meaning today, to uh, even this thing up and get it to a third game. So yeah, I, it, the coaches know. So I don't know if the gathering media needs to look at it as such a uh, an interesting uh, story or or a cute little side story. I guess I think the uh, the general consensus among the people in the know is that yeah, Michigan is legit. I mean, I saw them against UCLA two weeks ago and they held ucla to nine runs in three games i think that yeah. pretty much told, sold me on them so yeah no I, I i think people get the idea that this isn't a novelty uh necessarily so good you know good for them eric how long have you been going to the college world series oh christ as a working per- person in the media since 1999 but i used to go when i lived here and when i was you know five years old so uh long ass time put it that way rich just just longer than you and i can probably think about well, and, and the, I wasn't trying to age you in asking that question. My, I guess the point no that I was making is through th- from, from the time that you were a kid growing up in Omaha and watching College World Series games at Rosenblatt to the time that you've been covering it you know, professionally, my assumption yeah. is there's some memorable pitching performances that stand out, some guys that kind of stand out above the rest for what they've been able to do on the mound. But oh, yeah. what Tommy Henry has been able to do for Michigan – does it stand out as one of the best kind of collective performances you've ever seen? Yeah, I, I, I guess it does, Rich. I didn't really think about that, but it, I guess it does because, man, you hold down that Vanderbilt batting order, relatively speaking, hold it down to, you know, granted he gave up seven hits, but this was his second win in Omaha, and 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 again, he's he's just kicked it up another gear ever since the postseason started, and they kind of he's kind of gotten to the point where. He's pitching as people kind of were expecting him to pitch this year. 
And so it's a great time to do it, obviously. It's helping Michigan out. But, yeah, this has really been a great – now, again, he didn't, he's not a Kumar rocker. He didn't throw a complete game no-hitter with 19 strikeouts. Again, this is a very good Vanderbilt batting order he's up against. So just holding them to, you know, what, what was it, three, three earned runs. I guess he gave up four runs in all, but three earned runs uh, over nine innings, giving his cha- team a chance. This, this was a pretty transcendent performance, and that's kind of what a team needs – this time of year when you go to Omaha you need somebody to step up even more so than they have and uh Tommy Henry yeah second round draft pick he hadn't pitched like it all year but man he certainly has here in the last few weeks and in Omaha as of right now I guess I would probably make him my MVP if I had to vote right now on it for the College World Series so we'll see how it shakes out though man that would be pretty hard to argue against for the second time this postseason Kumar Rocker for Vanderbilt is taking the mound with Vanderbilt yeah. facing elimination. He, you mentioned the 19 strikeout performance, the no hitter uh, against Duke, and that was after Vanderbilt got pounded by Duke, and then kind of set yeah. the the stage for them to be able to kind of boat race Duke in that third game of the Super Regional. Can he replicate not specifically 19 strikeouts and and a no hitter, <laughs> but can he replicate that type of performance with Vanderbilt? having its back against the wall tonight against a, a, a Michigan team who, I, I'm not going destiny, but but they really seem to be playing confidently right now. Right, Yeah, that's a good word for it, Richard. I, confidently is a good good way to describe it. But yeah, I think people are kind of getting a little bit lost in you know the Michigan hype a little bit right now. And, and, and this is weird. It's a weird thing, this, this finals, because – there's an SEC team in it, but it seems like most of the stadium is for Michigan. We're not used to seeing that with an SEC team playing. But, yeah, you know what? Kumar Rocker, he, he pitched well. I think that was one of the things that I was looking forward to seeing when they got when Vanderbilt got to Omaha was the fact that, he, you know, how would he do after that monumental super regional performance against Duke? And he pitched well in, their, in, in his first start. So I expect him to probably – do you know replicate it the the game that he had here earlier this week i think he's going to pitch well michigan's a team that is very red hot right now again to to use a phrase that the media loves but i with with kamar rocker i know he's freshman but with him on the mound i still think i still think vandy's got a you know a better than average chance to push this to a third game and then you never know what happens so yeah i i think he's got a chance to sort of replicate what they did in the Super Regionals, just get them to a victory in Game 2 and see what happens in a third game. Um, and and I, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see that play out, especially, again, with that Vanderbilt batting order. They're not going to be held down for too long. I, I think they're going to they're gonna score some runs today, too. So, yeah, th- this should be an interesting thing. I think it will go to a third game. Well, okay, that's where I was headed next. I mean, ultimately, do you think that Vanderbilt pushes this to a, uh, a, a winner-take-all game tomorrow night? Yeah, I, I see that happening, Rich. It, whether I whether I'm ready to get out of town or not, I think it will go to a third game. <laughs> I just don't see Vanderbilt getting blanked, not blanked, but getting shut down two games in a row. And and they're just too good of a team, and they've got you know too much postseason savvy to them, uh, and they do have that confidence of having a big strapping freshman that did not pitch like a freshman here in the last few weeks. So. Yeah, I, I think it will go to a third game. and But I think then you kind of got to look at, all right, if Michigan does bring back Carl Kaufman, the guy that's been you know kind of Tommy Henry-like, I guess you could say, they bring him back four days rest. Let's see what happens with that. That's, that's, uh, that could go either way. So this one's very much still, still up in the air. I know this, Rich, you used the, 
the phrase destiny a little while ago. Yeah, if if, Van, if if Michigan does pull this off, obviously you probably want to look at it as that. But as as I see it, you know, Vanderbilt's not playing any of that destiny crap. They're gonna they're gonna come out and uh, be ready to play and probably make amends for yesterday. Eric, last thing for you. I asked Kendall Rogers this. I guess it was last week as we were kind of making the turn toward the the College World Series finals. Yeah, a, a guy that's seen a bunch of College World Series. How would you grade this year's tournament overall, just kind of based on what you've seen over the last almost two weeks? Yeah, no, this has been a good one because there's been so many good games. I mean, close games. I think I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like like most of the games except for one or two finished with, you know, a one or two run difference. And and we haven't had you – know, it it, it's still just been tight. It's been nip and tuck, and we saw some good comebacks and whatnot. Uh, so this hasn't been too bad. The the thing that I've been kind of glad about is we haven't had too many boat race type finishes where it's, you know, after the third inning and the game goes on and on and drags on forever. It seems like so. This has been a good competitive college world series. Um, yeah, obviously there still could be some magic up ahead, but good games and 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 all pretty close and in doubt going into the last inning, which I like. That's the kind of. Uh, as as uh, as a fan of college baseball, you like to see that and keep the keep the interest of the fans. I lied to you. Not last thing. I'm, I'm going to go funny. Last thing. Um, Bring it. <laughs> who, who is the uh, who's the favorite to win the 2020 College World Series? Oh man, you know what, Rich? I'm still looking at. I don't remember if I mentioned on your show last week or not. But I'm still looking at Georgia as a team that is is kind of on my radar. With Emerson Hancock and, and uh, Wilcox, the other big pitcher they got, they've been both throw you know upper nineties heat and a lot of good returnees. I think they've I think they've uh, got the last two years now they've gone to the NCAA tournament. So I'm still kind of looking at Georgia as a team to beat. Sort of, um, I mean, along with some of the ones that are here, like an Auburn or a Louisville, should be good again next year. Vanderbilt's never going to go away. But a uh, good question, and and I still I still think obviously we're a long ways away from it. But that's. Uh, Scott Strickland's team is one that I'm going to keep an eye on next year. Good stuff as always. Eric, thanks for joining us all season long. Hey, man, by the way, you were the first one that had me on in February this year when I was going on a ski trip. So I appreciate you having me on all season, Richard. Your, your show's great, and you're great, and I look forward to uh, hearing and seeing more of you during the college football and college baseball season next year, man. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Eric yep, Sorensen from D1 Baseball. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm Tuesday afternoon. Thanks to Eric Sorensen for joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. We should, uh, if you've not done it lately, go to favrates.com, F-A-V-E rates.com. You know, kind of like Brett Favre without the R. And uh, when you go there, all you got to do is type in your zip code. So for me, it would be 38655, and then I tap Get a Quote. And it takes you to a page that allows you to choose the option that's best for you. You can get an auto insurance quote, you can get a property insurance quote, or you can bundle and save by getting an auto and property quote. Click on that. You'll be directed to the agent that is near you. Just a couple of quick questions to answer and an opportunity for you to save money and deal with people who are Mississippians just like you. You're not going to be... Uh, routed to some call center in a, a foreign country where you're not entirely sure the language that they're speaking. You know, it's disguised as English, but you really can't understand. Now you're going to be talking to somebody that's uh, in your local market, 
and uh, you'll be dealing with people that you know, that you see at the ballpark, that you see at the grocery store, that you see at church, that uh, have got the same interests uh, that you've got. That's why we say go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Hey, Dad, you heard um, Eric Sorensen just a second ago say that he thinks Vanderbilt wins tonight, and this goes to a Game 3. Are you on board with that? Uh, with Kumar Rocker on the mound, I don't see how you couldn't be. I mean, that guy's just been really, really good this year. Getting to see him you know, firsthand uh, in Omaha last week, you can see he has all the tools, and he'll be a, a top draft choice when his time comes uh, at that. But, yeah, that guy, I, I think that he'll rally Vanderbilt, and I do agree that we will see a game three uh, in Omaha. Borky, game three, or is it over tonight? I hope it's over tonight. Okay. But I feel like a game three is coming. I mean, if I told you in two days that Vanderbilt was able to win the entire thing, you wouldn't be any at all surprised, would you? No, I would not. But I've also gotten to the point where if Michigan wins tonight, I'm not surprised anymore. It's kind of dumb to doubt them. They've just been good. And and it's not a it's not a I'm betting against destiny. They're just good. They're good one through nine in the lineup. They've got guys that can hit for, for power. They're pretty. Their approach at the plate's pretty good. They're not swinging at a lot of bad pitches. They're getting good uh, play behind their pitchers defensively, and they've got starting pitchers that get them deep into ball games. That's a recipe for success, even against the team that has been probably the best in the country for the entire season. What about you, Rippy? You see it going to Game Three? Or are you on board with the uh, Go Blue Train? Uh, no, I think it goes game three, and I think Vanderbilt wins the thing in three. So you think they win the next two? Uh, yes, because they haven't lost back-to-back games since, I believe, April 6th. Who is that to? Uh, Georgia took two out of three from them. That's right. It's only happened twice this year. A&M beat them back-to-back, and Georgia beat them back-to-back. So that would tell you they're probably going to win this thing in three. Yeah, it would. Um, of course, but, there, there was also the whole UCLA had not lost a series all season long until they had Michigan in their ballpark with a chance to get to Omaha. Yeah. Pac-12 pretty Mickey Mouse this year, though. Oh, really? Be careful calling people Mickey Mouse. That'll get you in trouble on the old social medias. Why? <laughs> uh, at one point, I referred to something related to brand, uh, actually related to Vanderbilt as Mickey Mouse. That uh, take was not well received. This is going over my head. I don't remember this. It, it was the hidden ball trick, right? Two the hidden years ball ago. trick, oh. and I called it top shelf Mickey Mouse. You're anti hidden ball trick. Oh, I really don't care. I just thought it was kind of a. It was it was very on brand for Tim Corbin. It was an very opinion in the moment that turned that into Richard getting ripped apart for like a week yeah. by just. I didn't know Vanderbilt had enough people for that to last for a week. It was, oh, no, I don't, it was <laughs> primarily by Ole Miss fans, oh, really? Mississippi State fans. And I guess there were a few Vanderbilt folks that were mixed in there. And, you know, if, uh, if Vanderbilt's Mickey Mouse for playing a hidden ball trick, how what, what kind of a cartoon character is Ole Miss for falling? For? Yeah, whatever. Just, just telling you to be careful using Mickey Mouse when you're talking about Vanderbilt baseball. Hey, man, when you squat on a take, you got to be able to withstand the storm. That's right. you got to be able to uh, got to be willing to own it. Uh, on the baseball front, Jake Mangum, according to Jim Callis at MLB.com, and he basically reports every single signing that's out there, uh, signed with the Mets last night. $20,000 was the signing bonus. The slot value for pick number 118 in the fourth round, where Jake Mangum was taken, $487,900. All-time hits leader in the SEC, one of the top senior signs in this year's draft, 
Contact hitter with well above average speed. Good defender with a plus arm in center field. That's the write-up from Jim Callis. And, hey, Dad, I think you and I maybe saw that at about the same time yeah. and tweeted pretty similar stuff last night. And I think mine was, ugh, you know, you, you want the evidence of a lack of leverage when you sign a pro contract as a senior. Here it is. Uh, $20,000, which congratulations on twenty grand for Jake Mangum. Rippy, I know you even said a little while ago you're surprised that he got that much money. Yeah, because the guys around him, I mean, I've, I've try, I was trying to pull up the, the numbers from a couple weeks ago because they're like, don't quote me on this, but it's somewhere between their eight, fourth and eighth round pick. Like the guys got 2000 2000 One dude got a grand. Like 20000 is a lot more than the rest of their seniors got. And the Mets did this somewhat on purpose. They drafted a couple high school kids and a lot of seniors so they could have a lot of money to run at the high school kids. Hey, Dad, after, after Jake Mangum pays taxes and pays his agent, He'll have like thirteen grand to do something with. He can buy a two thousand and fourteen Toyota Corolla. <laughs> you, gonna, you gonna sell him one? <laughs> My, mine's not fourteen. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we talked about it when, when it happened that this was he was gonna get lowballed, and like Rippy said, it seems like twenty k was actually doing pretty good uh, as far as a signing bonus goes for him. So the thing with Mangum, and I don't know if you saw Teddy Cahill's article about this, but you know, money's not an issue with him. His dad played a, a long time in the NFL. Uh, so, you know, financially, they're, they're doing pretty, he's done well since then, obviously. Uh, Mangum actually was not on scholarship his last two years at Mississippi State. He was a walk-on, uh, just trying to free up some scholarship money for, uh, for other players. So my guess is, and I think you, uh, you hit on this on Twitter, if anybody loves to have a chip on their shoulder, man, it's Jake Mangum. He'll definitely use this and uh, and, and and as motivation going forward. I, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you just said, other than just kind of pointing this out. Jake Mangum is now a college graduate with a degree, chasing his dream. And I know most people's parents don't like technically cut them off when they graduate. Some do. But most don't. I, I don't know where Jane and I would be without the support and help of our parents through difficult times through the years. You may or may not be in that situation as you sit and listen right now. Maybe you were all on your own. But the idea that just because a family has some financial means, that they're real excited about the idea of, oh, it doesn't really matter that he signed for twenty grand and he's going to make $700 a month for the next few years, to me, that's almost—it's almost like a crutch take that we use for people whose parents have done well. Does that make sense? I don't think that makes it necessarily any easier for Jake Mangum. I get what you're saying for sure, but I guess what it is for Mangum is he knows that you know he's got a degree and he can always go back and, and there, there's going to be options available to him if this doesn't work out for him in baseball. He doesn't have to cling to the dream so tightly, and that might help him play better. To be totally honest with you, um, but I get what you're saying for sure that you know sometimes we we you know the children of successful parents we just assume that. Uh, they're just getting taken care of. When there's a lot of hardworking people out there whose you know, mom and dad were successful as well, and they've built upon that legacy. So I get what you're saying for sure. But at the same time, you know, for for Mangum, I honestly don't think that. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't want to make big money. He doesn't want to have one day get a big, huge contract from the from the Mets or whoever. But at the same time, my guess is he's probably. I would imagine that last year after he was drafted and he decided to come back, that he had reconciled himself to, hey, if I'm going to play pro baseball, it's not going to be for a lot of money at the beginning. 
and, and I hope that doesn't make me sound heartless. I mean, if I had a son who was fortunate enough to be able to stay in school, get a degree, wanted to take a shot at college baseball or at, at professional baseball and got a small signing bonus, I'd want to do anything I could to help them. But at some point you go, um, you're 23 and you've got a degree and you're a bright kid and this Major League Baseball thing's probably not going to work out. You just spent four years and you hadn't gotten out of high A ball. It's probably time for you to think about going to get a real job. At some point, you got to have that conversation. Yeah. Now, the other piece of that is, and, and I would point to my good friend David DeLucci as an example. David DeLucci came back for his senior year. Uh, he was It was by far the best season that he had ever had. He was an All-American and an All-SEC player and was drafted late, and the Baltimore Orioles offered him $2,500. And he held out, negotiated like crazy for five grand. He wanted to buy a four-wheeler. He got his five grand, and then out of that draft class for the Orioles, he was the first one to get to the big leagues. And so there are absolutely success stories that are out there. And then he turned that into a 13-year big league career and made, I don't know, 18, 20, 30 million dollars, whatever the number was, over the course of the next decade and a half. And uh, you hope that that's the route for uh, Jake Mangum. But it's not the easy route. And Delucci's told me before that the chip on the shoulder, you, you, you couldn't measure it because that's what drove him every single day. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Guys, what's the longest flight you've ever been on? Borky? Oh, gosh. Um, I think six hours. I've done Atlanta to San Francisco, which was about six, and then I've done okay. Salt Lake City to um, Vancouver, Canada, which was around that as well. Hey, Dad. I think it was my flight to San Jose earlier this year. Okay. Uh, about, about, about five or six hours, yeah. Longest flight for you, Rippy? About the same. Never done, like, a like to Europe or anything like that. So, like, San Francisco, something like that, about five, six hours. Yeah. I've done Europe twice, and I think Atlanta to Brussels was the first time, and maybe Atlanta to Paris was the second time. I don't remember what the second one was, but it was eight, maybe nine hours going, or maybe it was eight or nine hours coming home. Well, one way was a little bit shorter than the other. That's a long flight, though. You're on flight six, seven, eight, nine hours. That's a long flight. You make the trip to Hawaii, which I hope to do one day. That can be a long flight. Crazy if you go somewhere like Australia or you go to China or you know somewhere in the Far East, make a flight to Moscow. Then you're looking at one of those 14, 15, 16-hour flights. Those are insane. Cam Newton was coming home from France, Paris, I believe, making his way back to Charlotte. He had been in, um, in France for Fashion Week because, you know, Cam Newton, men's fashion icon and whatnot. And he missed his original flight. So on his original flight, he had booked a, uh, a business class ticket, a little extra leg room for the guy who, um, well, his, his paycheck has two commas in it, and it's eight figures. Makes sense. So the flight that he got rebooked on did not have any business or first-class seats available. So Cam Newton stuck in economy. It used to be called coach, but it's probably offensive to someone, and so they changed it to economy. 
It's where the governors sit. You know. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, see what I did there? Uh, so, Cam Newton thought that he might negotiate his way into a, a seat with a little more leg room. He's a big guy. I mean, you know, cramped leg room for Cam Newton, suboptimal on a long flight. He offered a guy in business class $1,500 for his seat. I think it was in business. It was either in business class or the first row of the economy section where you get a little more legroom right behind the bulkhead, which, by the way, is a fantastic seat on an airplane. Um, offered a guy 1500 bucks for a little extra legroom. This was caught on video, and the uh, the gentleman in the seat said, no thanks, I'm good. Uh, I'm good. So the question on the table is, would you give up the extra leg room of either a bulkhead or business class seat for $1,500 to go back and sit with the, um, the, the rest of the flight in the cramped seats with a little leg room if the guy asking you was Cam Newton? I would have started the overhead day for fifteen hundred bucks. Hundred eighty okay, k, not a penny less. We'll do this one at a time. Hey, Dad, you would have gone with the. It'll take one hundred eighty thousand. Yeah. Would you be worried about pulling the jerk move? Might cost you the fifteen hundred. No, I I I would pull out. The, I'm gonna have to go fan mode here. I would pull out my money clip with the M State logo on it. Show it to him and be like, I want one hundred eighty k, Cam. I know you have it. Okay, so you would not move for the $1,500? No, not for Cam Newton, no. Borky, would you take the 1500 bucks and go cramped legroom? Joke's on him. I'd have done it for a third of that. You'd have taken 500 Oh, yeah, to sit uncomfortably for a few hours? Yeah, why not? Not a few hours. That's fine. Six or seven hours is a few? I sleep with my dog between Ten. my legs. I, I haven't had a comfortable night's rest in a really long time, so it's you know it's nothing new to me. I'd have taken five hundred bucks and asked for an autographed something and have been just happy. I would have then sold that autographed something, but yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> so you would have taken the fifteen hundred and tried to turn it into like two grand. Yeah, something like that. There you go. All right, Rippy. Yes. No question about. Would have sat the overhead bin for fifteen hundred bucks, and I had Cam Newton on my fantasy team this year, and he sucked, and I still would have done it. I would you have tried to negotiate mind. at all? No. If he has me fifteen hundred bucks in cash, I'm going to sit wherever the guy wants me to sit. Okay. I'm only saying no because it's Cam Newton. Anybody else so, so, almost in the world, I probably would be like, yeah, sure. So, so random random guy offers you fifteen hundred bucks to trade seats with him, and you have to sacrifice some legroom for a ten hour flight. You'll do it, buddy. It's but yours. Cam Newton, no. I mean, it's not really Cam Newton's fault that he didn't go to Mississippi State, though, isn't it? No, he, he got more money somewhere else. He I mean, made, he allegedly, made a decision. Allegedly. Well, hold on a second, though. If Mississippi State had been willing to pay the 180k, he's in Starkville, right? I mean, we've got pictures hey, of him man, ringing a cowbell. Don't, 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 I'm just telling you right now, I, I, I wasn't I wasn't consulted on that business decision. Had I been, Cam Newton would have been a maroon and white. There you go, Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Arms of a girl in Louisiana. 
Louisiana. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com. Check in with Stephen Godfrey. It's been a while since we've talked. You can follow Stephen on Twitter at 38Godfrey. What's up, my man? <laughs> nice lead-in music. That's, uh, that that's Borky doing, uh, doing his thing quite well. By the way, uh, you're you're searching for a new um, podcast partner? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I can't comment on that at the moment, but yeah, sort of. Okay. I mean, it is public, though, that Bill Connolly has made a move and is no longer yeah. with the same company yeah. as you, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, more moves to come, though. That's all I can say. I'm teasing okay. for the future, Richard. All right. Well, uh, we'll uh, we'll circle back to that. How about let's let's talk about LSU then. Um, the, now, the Richard, backdrop. Why, why did you guys call me about LSU in late June? Can't imagine, right? <laughs> um, so the backdrop is the uh, the basketball investigation that's been going on. The mm-hmm. NCAA with an inquiry, uh, an inquiry. Sorry that. Uh, is now said to include football, the Our Lady of the Lake, hospital, foundation, etc., funneling money. So I threw this out there yesterday. I don't know that this is original th- an original thought, and I'll stop talking mm-hmm. and let you in just a second. But for the people that want to go, oh, there was this guy that was stealing money from a children's hospital and giving it to LSU, that would be a very sensational headline that seems like mm-hmm. it would be incredibly inaccurate. More like there is a mechanism in place in which one guy was kind of the leader where uh, you had the ability to, for lack of a better way to describe it, launder money yeah, and get a tax fair. break that was headed toward football. Does that make more sense? Yeah, yeah I, th- I mean, that's fair, but I think also you wouldn't be wrong factually with the sensational airline. It's just a matter of how much context you want to give the, you know, the situation. But yeah, you've got a guy who, you know, we now know almost two hundred grand went to the family of a football player, and the only reason we know this is because he actual he broke the real law, not the not the weird fake NCA laws. Um, you know, this is the difference between the NCAA's investigative process and you know state, local, federal government is they have this thing called due process. And they have the ability to subpoena things. Um, so my gut reaction to this story the past week is just sort of reminding people that it's very easy to turn these things over, to turn these rocks over when you are the real police and you have those powers. I mean, I think if, if you didn't have legally dirty money involved, you would have never found out about this, or at least not in any way that the NCAA could have proven it. I don't get the impression that LSU is going to be real cooperative in working with the NCAA and saying, yeah, you know what, we actually dug on this a little bit more, and we found out that it wasn't this guy just uh, acting as like a, a rogue dude. There actually were a whole bunch of people who were donating money, and here's yeah. here are their names and their cell phone records. Good luck. Um, I'm opening a consulting firm for anyone that has trouble with the NCAA. And it's it's a one one sentence proposition. You pay me a big consultant fee, and I tell you, don't cooperate with the NCAA ever. That's it. That's my fee. You owe me five thousand dollars. Never, ever, ever embolden the NCAA in any way, shape, or form, and never volunteer information. 
I mean, we've seen this time and again. This goes back to the McNair USC stuff. Is when you get into that spirit of cooperation, they're gonna every inch of rope you hand them, they will hang you with. My wife and I were having this conversation at dinner last night because she didn't know about any of this, and we were kind of juxtaposing it with. Uh, Missouri's situation, Ole Miss's situation. We talked on the radio yesterday about the last time Mississippi State had an issue with the NCAA so that it didn't feel like we were just going LSU versus Ole Miss, kind of kind of looking at big picture things. Sure. And she goes, well, wh- why would you give stuff to the NCAA? Why would you cooperate with them? And I said, well, that's a really interesting question you asked because by all accounts, it's a really bad idea to do that. Uh, I, the shortest answer possible is that I think that sentiment is changing. I think what you saw in the fallout of the various McNair trials in Southern California, combined with you know what happened with Mississippi, just the entire state of, and the confluence of interest and the way that that operation sort of zigzagged in terms of like finding its north star. And I'm being a little you know obscure just to be diplomatic. Um, I think now within the administrative circles that that sentiment is changing. But the answer to your original question was that up until recently, people put people, well, let me back up, people in the athletic department world, Richard, the administrators who bounce around from university to university who often end up working for the NCAA in some respect, uh, it, it's, it's a small incestuous circle and people had faith in that system they also had a need not to upset the balance of things for their own personal gain. And I think what people are seeing now in the industry is that when you represent a university as its athletic director or its you know, uh, compliance department or whatever your role is, the NCAA coming in in an investigative uh, presence is not probably going to benefit your school. And then your, your sort of performance in your job will reflect as such. And that that is uh, that, that's a perception that didn't really exist five or ten years ago. Yeah, and and I felt like you can correct me if I'm I'm way off base on this, but I felt like the game changed with the conference call after Missouri's penalties were handed down, and there was a reporter, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I may not get this actually right, but there was a reporter that asked the question, so it looks like a school would be better off not cooperating with the NCAA. Am I reading into this correctly? And the answer yeah. from, I think it was somebody who was on the Committee on Infractions, was it could be perceived that way. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And we were like, hold, hold on a second. That was the tacit endorsement of a member of the Committee on Infractions saying, you better not cooperate with us. Well, keep in mind, though, there, so there is a small separation there. The Committee on Infractions is often made up of former coaches or former athletic administrators. It's also made up of some really, really smart lawyers. And it's always very – I always gravitate towards the lawyers when they sit on the committee because, uh, you know, I talked earlier about career ADs and career coaches. They're, they're always be looking out for number one. It's a little bit, you know, incestuous. You don't want to make the NCAA mad. You never know where, where you're going to end up. The lawyers, really some great legal minds, have often pointed out the flaws in the system of enforcement and then the committee hearing process as well as the decisions. You know, in the thing that really hinged on the Mississippi stuff was that they, they have this aspect called siloing, which was that 
everything that everything the NCAA uses to investigate an individual school, the school cannot really cite precedent in any other investigation or show that a potential violation was tied to the acts of another school or another individual. In the legal world, people would laugh at that. That that is a essentially you're being robbed of due process. You're being robbed of the right to face your accuser. Right, because when, of our legal system. I, I was going to say when you're dealing, I mean, when a judge hands down a ruling, they're using, generally speaking, case precedent to support their ruling. Right, and the NCAA operates in a vacuum. They try to operate in a, in a vacuum as much as humanly possible. They also don't even provide all of the information to the accused. Um, and this has been the process. This has always been the process. So now I think there is an awareness, especially at major football universities, that they better prove it. You're, you're probably better off in a situation like LSU where your administrators there are, I mean, especially in the case of the athletic director who just got there, that's a destination job, right? So he's not worried about making the NCAA mad. He's worried about what? Defending LSU and making sure LSU's happy. So again, and how about that conflict of interest, by the way? Whoops. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Scott Woodward's stepson from? is married to Mark Emmert's daughter. It's a bucket of crabs, man. I, I, I'm I've been doing this long enough just to kind of sit publicly and laugh about it. And if I get rebuked privately, but no one ever wants to stand up publicly and say anything, it's it's all a big charade. They're all in it together. Okay. I mean, I look guarantee you the, the 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 principals involved in the Mississippi stuff from a year, two, three years ago, as they scatter into the wind, as like Ross Bjork goes to Texas A and M, for instance. They may be involved in another scandal like it one day, but they're also just as easily, you know, could end up working with the NCAA on some particular committee or get appointed to something. It's all very incestuous. So, I mean, none of this really shocks me. But if I'm LSU and I'm I'm the outside consulting firm. I'm telling them right away, lawyer up and lock it down. And the other thing is, I would just like to point this out. This happened under Les Miles. This happened under Les Miles, which I think is one of the reasons that LSU as an athletic department is not completely flipping out right now. Is there any way that LSU, and and the music has started, so we've only got like 30 seconds left. Is there any way that they avoid lack of institutional control? Oh, there's always a way. Yeah, you 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 gotta you gotta fight. You gotta fight like hell, but it's possible. And and honestly, you air this thing out in the court of public opinion. And I'm not just saying that as a reporter who covers the NCAA, but I also am. So anybody wants to give me a shout, go right ahead. <laughs> so you're like saying per- waiting like to tell our right story now. at the uh, the appropriate time is not really the appropriate tact. No, I think all the mistakes that were made in the Mississippi nonsense between those two schools, I think LSU is looking at that as well as several other cases, Missouri specifically. I think you're really looking at Missouri and the North Carolina academic stuff and realizing that you can beat these guys and cooperating is absolutely the wrong move. Thanks, Stephen. Yes, sir. The Super Talk Mississippi app and always live on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the five o'clock hour. Good to have you along. Disappointing news for the uh, stick to sports guy. When you look at the number of texts that came in over the last oh five to seven minutes about ghosts and aliens, 
holy cow, people are interested in that topic. Jeremy and Jackson says the tr- truth is uh, out there. Say what? Hey, Dad. It never fails. Anytime we go off off topic, it it, it lights up. Yeah. Um, apparently, JT interviewed um, one of these guys at some point. Jeff and Grenada says, without light speed travel, no UFOs. I do not believe, but I do believe we have other planets with life. They're just too far away. Dan in Charleston says he thinks the two guys in 73 were on a bad acid trip. Amanda in Pike County says she sees aliens all the time at Walmart in Macomb. They're going to take acid and go fishing? That's quite the weird combo. Brad in Burnsville says aliens are more likely, (laughs) and Flight of the Navigator was a great movie. Jim in Ripley wants to know how I feel. What do I believe in? I kind of always pick at my wife when she talks about ghosts. What about aliens? I don't know that I really have Porky's that much. Voice of got opinion. really serious. There. What about aliens? Yeah, I need to. Know. I do know that George Nury has made quite the career out of talking about aliens and ghosts and whatnot. Might jump on that train. May change the theme of my podcast and just start talking about alien conspiracies. I would imagine that your listenership would skyrocket. Yeah, but would, would, it, would it be the that. right kind of listeners, though? That's Maybe the not. thing. I don't know There's if that's no the such dem- thing as the wrong kind of listeners. I don't know clicks if that's the demographic that I could sell, though. You know what I mean? Tim and McGee says, I believe those two guys from the coast, one of them was telling it before he died, and the other's still telling it, and he's on up there in age. Uh, see, the alien probe was totally engrossing, all puns intended, and I vote for the spirits. That's from Golden Eagle Jimmy. Jeff and Laurel wants to know what we're smoking. Um, I bet the Jules truth Dan is what Brown. I'm smoking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I, there, there's another vote for uh, an acid trip that from Dwayne <laughs> in the uh, in the Delta. Why, why are you disagreeing with the acid trip thing? I just thought if they were actually fishing, like it just seems very weird. Like you're gonna trip acid and go fishing in the water at night. Like that. Yeah, those two things don't really go together. Yeah, that, that seems. I mean, if they got abducted at like a panic show or something, it may be more believable, but like, <laughs> I don't know about fishing. Jeff and Laurel suggest that we're leaving Bigfoot out of the uh, the conversation as well. There's another vote for Acid Trip. Sports Talk Mississippi <laughs> brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. And just think about it. If you buy your own piece of property, recreational or otherwise, maybe you're going to farm on it, you just might have a place where aliens would land a UFO one day. And think about the profit you could generate if that actually happened. I just don't get why people are so cynical. This guy mentions aliens and everyone equates it to drugs. <laughs> it's because they're afraid I of the truth. Believe them. Yeah, they are afraid of the truth. That's exactly right, Borky. Um, you can check out Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now, time right now for the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But don't stop there. You can uh, you can see all that you need to know about the 
Explorer and the Expedition and the Edge and the cars that Ford's got. And then you can go and test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Great incentives right now to get into a new Ford. And if you are a military member or a first responder, there is extra savings for you now through just after the 4th of July. So we talked earlier with uh, Stephen Godfrey from SB Nation. Here's some interesting content from SB Nation. Borky, you posed the question, if you could change one touchdown in college football history, what touchdown would you change? So some interesting examples there, but if we bring it home a little bit to Mississippi, hey, Dad, if you could change one touchdown for or against in Mississippi State history, what would it be? If there was one touchdown you could change in Ole Miss football history or Southern Miss football history, what would it be? Which touchdown would you either add or take off the board? I'm gonna, I'm gonna one get of the, the uh, go ahead. I was just going to give a reference point. So what are we talking about? This was an example: 2015 Tennessee Alabama. He says the Vols now win 21-19 in Tuscaloosa. That means Butch Jones is nine and three in his third year with Tennessee's first win over the Tide in nine seasons and probably a bid to the Citrus Bowl instead of the Outback. I'm betting he gets another contract extension. At two 2015 losses, the narrative for Nick Saban since winning the 2012 title. Uh, by destroying Notre Dame, is now this. Missed SEC title game in 2013. 2014 won the SEC, got torn up by Cardale Jones in a playoff semifinal. 2015 missed the SEC title game and the playoff. See how it might have changed? Also, the SEC championship game is now Florida against Ole Miss. Florida beating the Rebels for the second time in the season. We give the Gators a Sugar Bowl bid against beatable Oklahoma State meaning Jim McElwain and Butch Jones land long-term contracts in the SEC East, or if Ole Miss wins its first SEC title since 1963. You're probably thinking the NCAA is just going to overturn this, but you're wrong. Of the 33 victories the school was forced to vacate, zero occurred in 2015. Now the playoff committee has to pick between Stanford, Iowa, and Ohio State for the last spot. Pick three, loss Ole Miss, and get people talking. See, Ryan Nani at uh, SB Nation really fleshed that one out just a little bit. So, hey, Dad, if you could change one touchdown in Mississippi State history, which would it be? The, the, the easy answer for me is, is to go back to the Alabama uh, game uh, in 2014, which State went to Alabama as the number one team in the nation. But if I take one off the board for Alabama, it's still a tie ball game. It's 20-20. to 20. Uh, okay. Even though the, I know you know what you're saying. They finished 25-20. I guess you, you know you go to the tie and you go to overtime. I, I don't know that, that that state would have won the game. So can I add a touchdown then? Sure. All right, then I'm adding a touchdown to that game. State wins 27-25, clinches the SEC West, uh, goes to the SEC championship game where they probably beat Missouri and heads into the playoff. Even if they lose the Egg Bowl to Ole Miss, which would have been one of the funniest things ever. State loses the Egg Bowl but still plays for a national title. Okay. Borky, can you think of one touchdown you'd like to change? Ooh, come back to me on that one because I want to go deep like Nanny did. Okay. Brad in Burnsville says take away the Arkansas touchdown or just the two-point conversion and let the win on fourth and 25, we would have won the West. That's the same thing that Tim and Enterprise said, 2015, no touchdown in overtime for Arkansas against Ole Miss. How about this? 
Ole Miss would be Connerly run back in the 1960s against LSU. It's actually the Billy Cannon run back. I assume you're talking about 1959. And that's probably the one that a lot of Ole Miss fans would take back if you went back. If you take away Billy Cannon's punt return for a touchdown on Halloween night in 1959, then Ole Miss likely wins the national championship that year. Right? Yeah. Although a lot of people want something more recent as opposed to continuing to talk about 1959, 1960, 1961, 62, 63. Rippy, if you could change one touchdown in college football history, what would it be? I would. I needed a little bit more time to think on this, so I'm... Forgive me if I'm a prisoner in the moment, but what happens that night at Auburn when the clock ran out on LSU and Miles last game if that touchdown counts? That's a good one. Because their schedule gets pretty easily after that. Here's their schedule after that. Missouri, Florida, Southern Miss, Ole Miss, Alabama, which they only lost 10 nothing at home under Orgeron, Arkansas, Florida, A&M. What happens after that? Is he still there? They win that game. Not only that, if you remember back to that game, there was some talk about Malzahn being on the way out. You know, he hadn't signed that ludicrous contract yet, and there was a lot of you know the winner of the loser of this game might get fired on Monday, and it just ended up being Miles. So you got to, you could have completely altered the uh, the future for two teams there. Sticking with Auburn, is Gus Malzahn the coach entering twenty nineteen if the kick six never happens? Ooh. <sighs> Man, Wait, what year was the kick six? He was in 13, but I mean, that sort of set him up as this guy they think they believe can get them to a national title. A couple of Ole Miss folks sending me messages. Take the t- uh, take a touchdown away from LSU in Eli Manning's senior season, so that's 2003. That's a good one for Ole Miss. He says Ole Miss wins the SEC West, wins the SEC championship game, and beats Oklahoma for the national championship, and likely Eli Manning wins the Heisman Trophy. Ole Miss wouldn't play for the national title. They had two other losses. Who, but LSU went on to win it with two losses one. that year. No, no, they only had one. That was 07. They had only one? Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Dan in Charleston says that if you take away a touchdown from Alabama against Ole Miss in 1969, Ole Miss wins that game, and Archie Manning probably wins the Heisman Trophy that year. That was the famous Archie Manning-Scott Hunter game. What was the final in that game? Was it 42-35? I may have made up the, uh, the final score. What year was that? 1969, Ole Miss-Alabama. My good friend Jim's How- James Howe will tell us. Uh, you want to be uh, part of the conversation, you can text the show, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line. C Spire customer inspired. 33-32, the final. So a one-point loss. And just an incredible game all the way around. Got a tweet from Kevin. The Treadwell, I guess non-touchdown, changed that to a touchdown and what happens in 14 for Ole Miss against Auburn. So, if they win the game against Auburn, 
I mean, maybe they get in the playoff, but man, they still win as a pretty beat up football team to Arkansas that year. Lost in the rain. Wallace twists his ankle. The Ryan Buchanan show came in. Mm. I don't know. I mean, maybe they went out. I'm not sure. I mean, it's not as cut. That was a pretty demoralized team that went to Arkansas the following week. It was. It was. I think it was a couple weeks later. They yeah, they got to play Presbyterian. Presbyterian team. Didn't they pay for that school's lights? They that, did. Yeah, of, yeah, old high school teammate of mine was the kick returner, and he fumbled three kickoffs in that game. That's uh, tough. But um, they used that to pay for their lights in their stadium. But there's a good chance that maybe it's different if they win that game, but it's not as cut and dry as the 15 thing where, you know, everyone knows what happened with the... If they beat Arkansas, they go to Atlanta. They win the West. Yeah. Go to the SEC championship game for the first time ever. And would have played who in the SEC championship game in 15? Missouri, right? I thought it would have been a rematch with Florida. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was after right. Will Greer was sent no. packing for Roids. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Started discovering the back me. Um, Corey suggests Notre Dame with the extra touchdown against Boston College in 1993 plays Florida State in a rematch for the national championship game. That was what Florida, Florida. Uh, hold on, that's not right. Florida, Florida State was 95. Um, Corey also suggests that if you take away and Corey maybe. A Notre Dame fan should take away the Bush push touchdown, and Notre Dame snaps another long victory streak. Brady Quinn possibly wins the Heisman, and Notre Dame wins a national championship. Kevin says Alabama final touchdown against Mississippi State in 2014, which was the one you mentioned earlier, right, Hey Dad? Yeah, yeah, but still a tie game at that point. Yeah. Pretty fascinating to think about a single touchdown. And, and again... Ryan Nani's breakdown goes a little bit farther because a single touchdown could have a ripple effect, not just with the outcome of one game, but with the outcome of multiple games and results that you see that kind of could change college football history. Um, An extended Butch Jones. Just say that to a Tennessee fan, see what their reaction is. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty simple for Georgia, isn't it? Yeah, Tua. Yeah, take it away. You 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 take away Tua's touchdown pass in overtime. Yeah. What happens if they score on the final drive though in the SEC championship when they had a chance? One second left, right? Aaron Murray rolled out to his right. I mean that that puts you in oh, okay, that game. Well, I mean that even still that they probably are gonna beat Notre Dame. I mean, let's be honest. They're going to beat them. But the other one is you win the national title if that play doesn't happen. But I'm thinking a step further. Yeah, if but that happens, you're there's two no Kirby, years though. There's no Kirby Smart if that happens. Yeah, you might be right because if Mark Rick had won a national title, they wouldn't have pushed him out. But Kirby Smart would be somewhere. Be at Florida State. Gone, gone there when Jimbo left. Huh. Would it? Have, or maybe Florida. that wouldn't have been as quick of a rise though. I was reading something the other day. Jimbo doesn't really get enough blame for what a mess he left. I, I saw that article. I need to read it. We're like they got some pretty candid comments from the Florida State athletic director. It 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 fell apart in the last two years at Florida State for Jimbo. Yeah, and he was yelling at fans in the stands, like not great. Yeah. 
You want to be a part of the conversation, again, 601-879-4395, the number on the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. Um, hey, Dad, you, you spent some time in Starkville today, and there was hoop. Day. Well, I, okay. Yes, thank you, except for the last two weeks. Other than that, yeah. Um, basketball news today, chance to visit yeah. with, with uh, Ben Howland, but before that... Um, news out of Starkville. Before we get to that, I should say news out of Starkville. Blair Schaefer, who is the daughter of Vic Schaefer, saw him on uh, Friday afternoon at Old Waverly, is now going to be on the coaching staff. So kind of got into the broadcast world a year ago and really was making some nice strides. Thought she did a pretty good job in the opportunities that she got. But you could absolutely tell basketball in her blood, coaching in her blood, and now we'll begin a path down that road. Yeah, yeah, I, that, that had been rumored or may have been one of those unofficially official things for the past couple of weeks that she was going to be a part of this staff. Uh, she because I, I actually knew that from uh, taking my daughter to Vic Schaefer's basketball camp and he introduced Blair as his newest, one of his new assistant coaches. So good for her, you know, and, and I think if you're an MSU fan, that's really good news. Having her on staff is just another anchor to Vic Schaefer here in Starkville that when the time eventually comes that Gary Blair steps down at Texas A&M, that it's going to make it even more difficult for him, you know, because I think he would probably like to set it up where Blair could some someday succeed him, but that won't happen if he's only here a couple of more years. Yeah. So what about on the men's basketball side of things today with Ben Howland? Well, uh, Obviously, the big news, you know, the first question asked and what everybody wants to know is with Nick Weatherspoon. And Allen gave a positive answer that, you know, he's practicing with the team and they expect him to be a part of the team and be, you know, playing at the start of the 2019-2020 season. But there was nothing committal to it. There wasn't an official statement made, Nick, Nick Weatherspoon has been reinstated. It's just, it's like, oh, yeah, we expect him to play. So it, it looks like they expect him to play, but there's nothing from the university uh, or anything like that. And, and Borky does a really good job here in, in the rundown of putting it. We have a guy who has been suspended for, I guess it was almost 10 games or whatever, and has been reinstated. And we, we have no idea publicly why he was suspended, what happened, anything. It's just, oh, he was suspended, now he's not. Why do we not know more? You know, normally something like this, it just gets out, right? Somebody knows something, and somebody asks the right question, and you, and you get the information. So kudos to Mississippi State for locking this one up. Oh, oh uh, people know. People people have no people have an idea, but nobody knows for sure. I, I would say that. I, mean, I have an idea. I know what people have said, but I don't know it to be fact. So you know that's why I don't report it. Um, but at least, you know, at least there seems to be some closure with this situation now. And uh, Nick Weatherspoon will be the starting point guard for Mississippi State uh, when, when the season tips off in November. Assumedly. Possibly. Probably. I would say probably at this point. See, I, I don't think there's closure, though. Okay. I, I, I don't think that the story will just completely go away if there's never some sort of a public answer. Andy Canizero went away without a public answer. That's right. Without a press conference. And then next thing you know, he's a high school baseball coach in New Orleans. Well, but 
I mean, it's pretty widely reported what happened with Andy Cannizzaro. There's a lot of allegations, but there's nothing There's nothing definitive. There's no, you, you will never see an article from me or from somebody else, another media organization, that this is what happened. I have it from good authority. I got confirmation from someone at MSU. Never going to happen. I, I think this is more likely to get confirmation because this isn't a personal issue. This is a NCAA-related issue, I believe, or a university-related issue, I believe. So there's possibly a paper trail that could be discovered by somebody who wants to put in the legwork. Um, has anybody with, put in the legwork? That's my. Has I, anybody I put that, in the legwork? I know that my uh, my podcast partner uh, Joel Coleman uh, did a Freedom of Information Act re- uh, uh, request, and nothing was found. He he scoured it, and there was nothing. There was nothing to be found. So, if states you know scrub the books of this one, they did a good job of it. Hmm. Anything else to uh, get to beyond the future of Nick Weatherspoon? Uh, you know, I like the team. I, I, I'm interested to see this new guy they uh, they signed while I was in Omaha, Quentin Post from the Netherlands. They 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 took I took a look at his highlight film, seven footer, but he's a guy who plays a little bit out on the perimeter. So adds another dimension to MSU. They're going to be an interesting team this year. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.